Hello, my friends. I'm so glad that you could join me today. Welcome back to another episode of Anything Goes. Hello to my Anything Goes family. I hope your weekend has gone well, and if you had challenges, I hope that you are finding resolution in a rather uh, quick manner so that you can get back to doing what you need to do in life. Well, before we get started in today's podcast, I wanted to say hello to our newest listeners in Singapore. Hello to you in Singapore, and thank you for joining the Anything Goes family. Also, a hello to my regular audience as well. Hello to those listening in here in the U.S., in Canada, in the U.K., in Europe, and in Asia, and down in Australia as well. Welcome to all of you. Glad to have you here again. Well, today... I wanted to talk a bit more about technology, data, and security. What prompted that was recently I was reading uh, online about what was going on with internet security, data security, and I came across some articles talking about ransomware issues that have been happening uh, in schools, uh, school districts. And so one that I read about was in Nevada, I believe it may have been Las Vegas, but I may be wrong in that, but I do remember it was in Nevada. And in that particular account, it talked about a school district that faced uh, a ransomware concern. And for those in the audience who don't know what ransomware is, ransomware is essentially, to put it in the simplest terms, it is a ransom built into software, hence the term ransomware. So the way that works is a person will compromise your your network and will introduce this software into your your machines, your network. And what it does is it tries to find what it believes is critical data and then it'll block you off from accessing it. And a window will typically pop up or something that says Uh, We've blocked these files, Um, and if you want to have access to them again, you will pay us X amount of money. These days, typically in the currency of cryptocurrency, because it's easier for them to take that in, and it's hard to trace them at that point. The double-edged sword of technology like cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. So this occurred in Nevada at this school district, and the school refused to pay the ransomware, which I don't blame them, but the problem was, because they refused to do so, critical information was released uh, about students and faculty, I believe, Uh, and by critical data, that means, you know, who they are, potentially if there was any social security numbers, their addresses, relatives, phone numbers, things that can really be problematic for identity theft purposes and other more nefarious purposes. 
Now, being a, a person who's worked in technology for a while, and actually also for being an educator who's seen how education functions, um, I sadly have to say that I'm not surprised that this has occurred. And that's not entirely to say that it's on the school. Part of it, I do hold the school accountable for what's going on with this. But part of it is also, this is just the nature of living in a more technological uh, and online world. So, one of the things that I, I, I know from having worked in technology is that no matter what gets created, there's always going to be people that will take advantage of that, who will use it for purposes other than what it was created for. And this is, I mean, this is no new thing, right? This has been going on as long as humanity has been in civilization. But it occurs. Pardon me. <coughs> Apologies. And so, knowing this, we shouldn't be surprised that people are going to use technology to use, or, or to take advantage of, these, these uh, organizations, these networks, these different data storages. Now, having been in education for a few years, I can tell you, at least here in the United States, from what I've seen and what I've heard and read, data and network security has been lacking in many, many schools. Uh, and that's not just to say like lower level, primary and secondary, but even at the college level, there have not always been proper uh, network security measures in place and data security measures in place. And as I'm sure any of you on the Anything Goes family know, we're not becoming less technological, but more. Uh, there is, as you've met, many of you have probably heard, if not all of you, the idea of the new business model, which is that of big data. Um, I talked about this briefly in a previous podcast when I talked about the fact that when you set up free accounts, if they're not charging you anything, then what you have to realize is that you are likely the product. Your data, your information is the product. And so that is a currency, that is a business that, uh, that we see happening these days. Now the problem is, working in schools, what I have seen to be the case is that many times the network security, the network infrastructure, and the data storage is not being maintained in such a way that ensures high security, that ensures protection. Now granted, I will give the caveat that nothing is ever foolproof. Anytime you try to create a measure to protect something, given enough time and opportunity, someone will find a way to thwart it, to get around it. Um, and that's why security continues to exist and continues to have a reason to be around is because, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> I apologize, I aspirated on my own saliva. <clears throat> 
So part of the reason we see this is because this data continues to, to grow. We have more and more information being put out there and it's not being secured as it needs to be. Now, what are one of the things that we could do? Let's, let's talk about it from a school perspective. There are a few things a school could consider, a school district could consider with regard to how to keep security a little higher. One of those things is having a, a very strong and useful firewall built into the network. That means any information leaving or coming into that network passes through that firewall. And anything that is not given permission to do so is denied. Now, a firewall can be a little frustrating as you're getting it going because by default, it's going to be highly protective and it's not going to want to let anything in or out um, until you tell it otherwise. But that is a good thing. You would rather something that is highly protective and you make the exceptions as necessary as tightly as you can around them. What I mean by that is if you're if you're going to have internet access, which you, you will need, let's say as an educator, there were times I needed to use the internet to pull up information for students or to show them a video or things of that nature. Let's say I wanted to access a YouTube video. What you don't want to do on the firewall side is to say, oh, well, we're going to let them use YouTube. So we're just going to make everything connected to YouTube accessible. While that can be the easier option to do, that doesn't necessarily make it the safest option. Because let's say, for example, uh, YouTube as a whole gets compromised. There may not be a whole lot of measure for you, but if what you've done on your firewall is to say, these particular videos, right, these, these links to these videos, that alone is allowed to come through. But anything else you try to access on YouTube, you cannot access. What that does is it makes it harder, if someone were to compromise YouTube, it makes it harder for them to access you. It's not to say that it's impossible, but it's harder because there's fewer uh, perforations through your firewall, through YouTube or any other thing you're connected to. Um, and so that's one thing you can do. Another measure is on every electronic device that's going to be connecting to the network, you should have some sort of um, local device local protection on there as well. And what I mean by that is, let's say like a desktop, things like um, a, a good total security system uh, software suite would be good on your computer, something that protects internet traffic, something that protects your device identification, your IP address, things like that. Something that secures uh, and encrypts your data on your computer uh, in a very high security way so that it makes it harder. If someone were to infiltrate the network, then they're in the network, but they still have to try and encrypt or de-encrypt your data that's stored on your computer. Plus they have to get through the, the computer firewall. So there's layers of protection. And while doing so can feel very clunky and overwhelming, 
when you have an expert that knows how to do this well, they can handle that for you and help streamline it. And it's just a bit of getting used to the new habits is all. But I can assure you, in the day and age we live in, the last thing you want to do is take the lazy approach. It may be a little more work, sure. But in the long run, it protects you. Because imagine if you are a school, an educational institution, or really any organization, business, for-profit, non-profit, whatever. The last thing you want to do is have your critical data given away. Uh, now, I don't blame people for not wanting to pay a ransomware, but if you want to prevent that, there are things you can do, as well as, well as other things that I'll talk about, like cold data storage. But you don't want your employees' files to be put out into the dark web, where social security numbers, addresses, phone numbers, names, um, emergency contact people, names and phone numbers for them, addresses. You don't want that getting into the dark web because that is a heck of a mess. Not to mention you put many people at risk and you risk the, the trust of your organization with the public. Because if people have that happen, it's going to be real hard to rebuild trust. Not impossible, but difficult. And so there are reasons by which you want to make sure you take those extra measures and do that well. Because you don't want that out there. Imagine your child goes to a school and that school gets compromised by a ransomware. The school uh, maybe doesn't have the money or doesn't feel morally that it's the right thing to do to pay these people that are trying to, that are basically uh, blackmailing them, if you will, to give them money. And then because they don't, now your child uh, or you, your information is out there. They have your social security number, your name, your address, your phone number. I can assure you that bit of information is critical and can be really used against you. Um, and so you want to be careful about that and you want to, you're, you're going to want that organization to take the extra measures. Now these things come with a cost. And so I recognize that and I say there's a lot of ways by which that needs to be handled. Uh, schooling needs to figure out their budgeting for that. If they're getting federal or state funding, I say the state and federal organizations or country needs to figure out ways to administer that so that the education is protected as much as it can be so that students can get what they need, faculty can feel secured as they do what needs to be done to build the future generations and help them to be prepared. As far as other things that can be done for protective measures, I'm a very strong believer in the idea of cold data storage. And the name sounds a little odd because we're not actually talking about cold. We're not storing data in a deep freezer. But what that means when I say cold data storage, um, you're, you have a hard drive built onto your computer and it's connected to your device. Your device is connected to the internet. That's what I consider hot data. That means it's, it's available and connected to the internet so someone could potentially compromise your computer and get access to it. Cold data storage is to say, 
any critical information that you can store off of your computer, you should do so. And uh, we'll pick up on that right after this break. Okay, so where we've finished off is we were talking about cold data storage and why that's important and how that works. So as I stated before, when I talk about cold data storage, what I am speaking of is the fact that we take, we take our data and we store it on a hard drive and it's disconnected from the internet from any kind of network. Now, why would we do that? Well, it comes down to this. If we want to protect vital information, then what we have to remember is that as long as it's connected to the internet, and if we are not practicing strong security measures, there is a very likely chance that our critical information will be either ransomware or could be stolen altogether and put out on the dark web so that others can use it in that market for whatever nefarious purposes. Identity theft and such things. So when I talk about cold data storage, the reason I say it's important is if you are a school, a business, a nonprofit, any organization, or even an individual, the reason you want to be able to do this is it helps make it harder for people to take your critical information and put it out to the dark web and to put you at a higher risk of compromise. Pardon me one moment. Now what you have to remember with this is in order for cold data storage to work effectively, it needs to be stored on some sort of hard drive and it needs to be, uh, it can be accessible on a computer, but it needs to be accessible on a computer that does not have connection to the internet. Um, and I mean at all. Some people have different views on that. My particular view is none whatsoever, ever. Because if you connect it to the internet even once, and someone is able to compromise your system, then it doesn't matter because now that software is in there and it's collecting information. And the moment you connect it to the internet again, it conveys that information to the person that put that on your, so your hardware and now you're compromised. So I strongly say it's best to keep it on a desktop, on a computer or whatever, where you can access it when you need to but don't have it connected to the internet. And if you need information that you need to use on a uh, desktop or laptop that's connected to the internet, then I say use something like a hard drive, or not a hard drive, a thumb drive, or it could be a, a portable hard drive that you can then connect it to, but I don't even consider doing that. I say take the safer route and take whatever bit of information you need Put that onto a flash drive, thumb drive, jump drive, whatever you want to call it. 
connect that to your system, transfer the file over, erase it off of your hard your thumb drive once you're done with what you need to do. And once you've done so, and the information is no longer needed on that desktop that's connected to the internet, eliminate it so that it's only stored on your cold storage. This may seem clunky, this may seem cumbersome, Pardon me, my friends. But it's, in the long run, the best choice you can make. Because, for me, I would rather have a little extra inconvenience, but know that I'm safer, than to take the lazier approach and put myself and others' information at higher risk. Now, this is what I'm talking about in regards to an organization, but even as an individual, this is true. What I strongly recommend as an individual is you should have a strong online, or not online, but device, complete device protection software package. There's no particular one I endorse, although um, I know a lot of people have talked about Avast, A-V-A-S-T, and that's because it offers in its complete suite many many different services so it can help to encrypt data it can help to eliminate data in a secure way it can help to protect your data by putting it in encrypted folders it can help with firewalls to the network so that you control what comes in and out on the internet from your device to the internet and from the other direction in. And so there are things like that. Also VPN, where it can reroute your computer through the internet so that it helps protect your IP. All of these services help make you a little safer. And then if you practice cold data storage, that adds another layer of protection because then no one can access that critical data unless they physically come to your location and access it, which at that point, other legal measures come into play. If you've got security cameras, you can catch footage of them. Um, you can then, you know, have other legal actions you can take for breaking and entering and things like that. And in many cases, you're not typically worth it unless you're some high profile business person or celebrity or something of that nature. Now, this is an important thing to consider because, as I've stated before, we're not becoming less, but more technologically um, astute and dependent upon technology and the internet. And so just as having an alarm system on a home, on a vehicle, is an important component, having, if you will, an alarm system on your electronic devices and on your devices connecting to networks is the next important step. Now back to the schools. There is a huge disparity that I've seen for a while and it's not just in schools, but since we started talking about schools, that's what I'm going to focus on more right now. A lot of schools have not taken the approach of really being careful with their data. 
and how their data is protected and how their networks are protected. Many have taken the approach that I've seen to be problematic in business. And what I mean by that is when I've consulted with companies on how to streamline their productivity and how to build a good environment ecosystem in the company, things that I've typically noticed have been uh, things in which people come into this mentality of, well, that's just the way we've always done it. Those are deadly words, in my opinion. That, that is a death sentence, potentially, for any organization that sees it that way, even for an individual who's trying to build something on their own. And why I say that is because if your view is, well, this is how we've always done it, and that's why we continue this way, that indicates a few things. It indicates, one, a lack or a, a resistance to learning and a, a lack of re recognition of the importance of continuing to learn, continuing education. And in the world we live in, things are regularly changing. We have to be able to adjust. So anyone that feels that way indicates that they are not exercising wisdom. Also, it's an indication of complacency. And complacency really is no place to be if you're trying to grow and move forward. And I recognize that, even as I here cognitively am aware that I'm trying to build a podcast myself. I, you, you grow as best you can, but it's always important to remember that you do need to grow. Now, I've seen this to be the case in many schools and school districts. And while they don't always have direct control over their money, uh, there are ways by which they could help protect themselves better. There are things the school districts could be doing, the schools could be doing, uh, any public schools that may be using a national or a federal or state or local uh, funding. There are programs that should or could be in place uh, to help bolster that. And now I've seen a lot of districts scrambling to figure out how to make it happen because of these ransomware issues and others that arise. But as typically tended to be the case many times, I have seen that it is um, not exactly too little, too late, but getting close to it. Better late than never, I would say, but better early than late. And so I've seen this being the case, and I'm not surprised, and I think there is more work that needs to be done to protect uh, faculty and staff and students, because there's a lot of critical information there that can really wreck a lot of lives and put lives at risk. Because when we talk about things like social security numbers or names and addresses and phone numbers and things of that nature being put out there. It's not just about your identity being potentially stolen and used to buy things with credit cards you didn't set up and things like that. What I think about and what really concerns me more when people don't exercise proper security in these measures is that um, I, I, I go automatically to children first because to me 
those are the ones that are the most susceptible. Uh, people who would take advantage of this data for dark web purposes don't typically have much for moral compass. Uh, don't typically care. They're just interested in what benefits them and what makes them money. Um, and so when that's the case, we have to remember that there is a lot at risk here. So in the case of these students where their information was released, things to, that I would say to think about, and even for your own security, or if you have children, your children as well. Imagine, let's say you're a single mother raising a child. You have a daughter and that daughter goes to a school and that school has not practiced proper uh, data and network security measures. Let's say they get a ransomware issue and they don't want to pay or can't afford to pay that ransomware and that data gets released. Let's say you, as that single mother with that daughter, are a single mother because the man you were married to uh, was highly abusive and violent. And perhaps part of what you did in divorcing was also getting a court order that, that made it so that that person could not know where you were or be around you. Now, if that information gets out into the dark web, there is a chance that that parent could potentially, that other parent could potentially find that information and perhaps could kidnap that child, try to take it away from you. And knowing there is a history of violence there, that's a dangerous place. Now that's one situation. I'll make it a more broad situation that might be more realistic for many of us. And that is sex trafficking. This happens on a regular basis. This is something I'm aware of because at the last school I was teaching at, I was teaching technology and art, and I was also trained, certified uh, by the Nest Foundation to train students on how to understand what healthy and unhealthy relationships look like. How to tell if someone's trying to, if someone may be a, a sexual predator, a sex trafficker, and how they go through the process of grooming things to look for and what to do. Knowing this, it's important that we recognize that sex trafficking happens regularly and we have to be vigilant. Now, understanding that if that, if you're that single mother or that parent and you realize that that information has been released, your identity is at risk. That child's identity at risk is at risk and that child's life may also be at risk because they could disappear one day into sex trafficking. God forbid, but this is a reality of the world we live in. And so I don't say this to try and scare everyone into thinking you can't trust anything online, you can't do anything online, it's all out to get you. That's not true. But what I am saying is that we need to take a different approach. We need to be wise or wiser about what we do. And we will be right back after this message break and we will do our little wrap up.
And we're back. Well, my friends, I think I could uh, continue to go on this for a while, but to keep our podcast from getting way too long, I think I will end it here for now. Now, I did want to say a quick shout out to a recent connection I made, um, a wonderfully kind lady by the name of Anna and her website called The Podcast Space. Uh, I am recently in con- I recently came in connection with her and got to talk to her a bit about podcasting and there are some great resources I'm starting to look at through her on how to better improve podcasting. So as I've said before, this will continue to grow and I will make this a little better sounding as I'm able to afford to do so uh, and have the resources to know exactly what to do with it. But I wanted to say a Shout out to her, and you should go check out her podcast page, uh, the the podcast space, uh, so that if you're interested in podcasting, you can learn a little more about it. She's wonderfully kind. You can find her on Instagram. Uh, very helpful. But I wanted to say a thank you to her and just shout out to her because she has been a wonderful help in learning how to podcast and developing this out. That said. My friends, as always, I am thankful to have you on this journey with me once again. And as always, I encourage you to be kind to one another and to yourselves. Find reasons to be happy every day. And if you enjoy this podcast and would like to help me to grow it, I welcome you to go to anchor.fm forward slash Joseph hyphen Guzman three. And on my page, you will find a button that says support. If you click on that button, you are able to be a monthly supporter of the podcast for as little as 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. Any of those are a wonderful help, and I thank you for them. On my anchor page, there's also a message button If you want to say hello, or if you'd like to be considered for uh, a guest position, or to be a guest on the podcast, you can message me and we can talk about that there. Or, if you're looking to do something larger than a $9.99 a month uh, support for the podcast, or if you'd like to do a one-time gift, then you can message me and we can work that out as well. Obviously, I'm thankful for any of your support, and I'm thankful for your uh, visiting. I'm glad to have all of you in the Anything Goes family listening in regularly. It's amazing to me the breadth of age range that listens in from 18 to 61 plus. It's amazing to me the amount of countries that I have listening in. Um, I don't exactly know how you all found me, but I am so thankful that you did. Um, And until next time, my friends, Stay curious, continue to be uh, learning and curious about the world around us. Uh, Find kindness in each day for one another, even, or maybe I should say not even, but especially if you don't agree with one another. Find ways to be kind anyways. I think there is a far greater expression of love in yourself for others in trying to be kind to those who aren't kind to you than to those who are kind to you. 
Well, friends, until next time, have a wonderful day, and we will see you soon.